If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But as we begin, this morning, I have good news. This morning, I have, I have such good news to share with you. As a matter of fact, the news that I'm going to share with you this morning is so good that I'm not only going to share it with you this week, I'm going to share this news with you next week and even the week after that. I'm going to promise you this. Every week we gather this news. I mean, this is unbelievable news. We're going to share it every week we gather. This is the news that we're going to share and be reminded of. Honestly and transparency, this is the only news I got. It's the only news that's really, really good. This is the only news that I feel ever called to preach. It's the good news. Listen, the good news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That is such good news. It's called the gospel, the euangelion in in the the Greek, the good news of Jesus. And here's the reality. It says this, that Jesus' righteous life, his life, it was enough to fulfill all the requirements of God's holy law. Jesus was enough. And it says this, that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross It was enough. It was enough to perfectly satisfy holy God's wrath. And that Jesus' victorious resurrection was enough to put death to death and give us eternal life. Is that not good news? This is the good news. And the reality is, is everything that God requires of us, and he's holy God, he's God. Everything that God requires of us, God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul will say of this good news, that this good news, this gospel, it's of the first importance. It's the numero uno thing. It's the main thing. It's the core. It's the irreducible foundation of Christianity. It's really what makes Christianity, Christianity, true biblical Christianity. That Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God, lived not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That Jesus, God's only begotten son, died on the cross for your sins and and mine, according to scripture. That Jesus, this king of kings, this Lord of lords, was resurrected on the third day. Again, according to God's plan, all along. And a bunch of people saw it. Paul's going to say like 500 people, I witnessed it. And because of this historic reality, listen, we have good news. Good news of what God has done for us through Jesus. Now, let me make it very, very clear. It's not what we do for God that matters. It's important, but it's not what ultimately matters. So sometimes get mixed up. Sometimes people think of the religion of good morals is what God wants of us. He wants us to have the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news. Let's don't confuse ever, this morning or ever at King's Chapel, the difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the religion of morality. God cares about how we live, but he first wants wants to know who we are. So Paul, in one of his letters he wrote to the church at Corinth, reminds us of the center of Christianity, the gospel, that first importance. The gospel needs needs to be the center of everything that we are. It needs to be the center of everything that we do. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, again, 1 Corinthians 15. It's on page 559. And this one, if you're using ours, we're going to look at three things this morning. The good news that our past is covered. The good news that our future is secured. And the good news that our present is empowered. 
Let's look to God's holy word. 1 Corinthians 15. I've chopped it up a little bit. It's 1 through 8, 12 through 26, and 54 through 58. Hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, inspired by the Holy Spirit and to us. And he says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, this is numero uno, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive when Paul wrote this, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, Paul would write. Let's skip to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now let's jump to verse 54. I'm going to pick up in verse B. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you for your word, the word that you remind us of. It all unfolded according to your plan. It wasn't a tragic accident that Jesus hung on the cross. It was what you planned before you created stars. And God, it was your plan because you love us. And it's of first and foremost importance of all things is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Father, would you show each and every one of us 
the importance of this good news. That we could live our lives in light of this good news. That we could be transformed and made new and given hope because of this good news. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you heard it or not, but we're going to look at the three things that we saw in there. The good news that our past is covered. That's such good news. The good news that our future, well, it's secured because of this reality of the good news. And the good news that our present is empowered. What good news is ours? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been to a town called Nashville? Anybody from that? Anybody going to Nashville? Or as they say, Nashville, right? It's been about 20 years since I've been in Nashville. Katie and I went to Nashville a couple of weekends ago. We were there for a friend of ours' 60th surprise birthday party. Now, hit stop. I'm nowhere near 60, all right? He's a friend. It's a lot older than I am, as far as you know. But we were there, and it's been amazing, the change of Nashville in the 20 years since we've been there. Who knows what Nashville is famous for? Anybody know what Nashville is famous for? What is it again? That's exactly right. It's the bachelorette party destination of the world. It is. It's true. It's incredible. It's like every other vehicle in Nashville right now has a bachelorette party that is going down the street. As a matter of fact, did you ever wonder what happens to old school buses? They end up in Nashville. Somebody takes the top off it, paints it a crazy color, stick a bunch of gals in there. They're going to get married or somebody's getting married and they go around the city. I'm telling you, it's, it's not only do they have buses go by, they had, they had tractors pulling girls, they, they had trucks. And sometimes you're like, are these the same drunk girls going around and around and around? Are there this many bachelorette parties? I mean, anybody else seen that? Was it just our weekend? But it was absolutely crazy what's happening in Nashville. But one of the things I thought I saw, have you guys seen, uh, maybe it's in other places, but Nashville has like this, uh, this mobile bar. It's like uh, you can sit around this little bar that's like a bicycle, you know? And so everybody sits around it. You can bike. You're, you know, you're going along. You're biking. You're pedaling. It's like, okay, I get it. Throw a little exercise in as you're drinking a little bit, right? And then, then someone said, hey, by the way, they don't have liquor license. You have to provide your own booze. I'm like, what a terrible idea that is, you know? I mean, who's thinking of that? I'm going to go. I'm going to bike. I'm going to get pay for my own stuff. I mean, incredible. But while I was in Nashville... I saw someone wearing a shirt, and the shirt that they were wearing says, life is good. Have you seen those t-shirts? Maybe a hat, something that says, life is good. And I'm telling you, I was having a great day. It was in Nashville. It was awesome. It was beautiful. So I wanted to go give them a little knuckle touch and say, yeah, man, life is good. Life is awesome. But have you ever seen someone wear one of those shirts when you're not having your best day? Have you ever seen somebody with the audacity to show up with a life is good t-shirt on when, when your life happens to be sucking wind right then? I don't know about you. I get angry. I want to start throwing hands at this person. Take that shirt off. What are you talking? Listen, do not wear a life is good shirt right now in the Bahamas. I mean, you know, they don't want to see it. They don't want to know it. Is life good? Is it good only on sunny days? What about rainy days? How would you complete this sentence right now? Life is, maybe write it down in that fancy book we gave you. Life is what to you today? 
You see, the good news of the gospel is this. It's good news in any and every situation. It is always good. Life is good. It's too fair weathered, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it's, it's really, really heavy. And the good news is this. The good news of the gospel is good news because why? Our past is covered. And this is what it means. Your junk and my junk in Christ, your brokenness, your sinfulness, the things you've done, thinking, oh man, I can't believe it. The things you meant to do that you shouldn't have done, the things you didn't even mean to do that you shouldn't have done, all those things. The good news of the gospel is your junk, your sin has been covered by the blood of Christ on the cross of Jesus. I mean, that is such good news. And, and Paul realized this. He says the argument of this good news is, it's kind of in the negative. It's interesting. It was, as I read through that scripture passage, it's kind of wordy, isn't it? It's kind of language that we might not use. And Paul uses the argument from the negative, meaning, listen, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't resurrect either. And if Jesus didn't resurrect, listen, the cross wasn't enough. They had to have an empty tomb because the cross was the payment But the empty tomb says that God received the payment. The father said, it's enough. It's true. And so if there's no resurrection of the dead, he's basically saying, it didn't work. I mean, Jesus came and he died on the cross, but mm, thank you, but it didn't work. It's not successful. I love what he says. He says, listen, that's the reality. If Jesus' body is somewhere and he's not in heaven right now, if he never resurrected, your, your faith is futile. You're wasting your time. My preaching is in vain. I'm wasting your time and mine. I love what it says in verse 19. Listen, if in this life we have hope only, we're to be most pitied. It's pitiful. Christian hope is pitiful if it's apart from a resurrection. Without a resurrection, we truly are hopeless. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, here's the truth. We're still responsible for our sins. Or scripture will say you're still in your sins. And if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, you know the loved ones you've lost? And I know that there's a lot in here that have lost loved ones. I've I've lost them with you. They're gone. If, If Jesus hasn't resurrected from the dead, the loved ones who have gone before us are lost. And and, and Paul, I mean, I I love the reality that he, he wants to say here. Here's the truth. If this isn't true, here's what you ought to do. He says in verse 32. You might as well eat and drink because you, tomorrow you die. I love that reality. He's basically saying, if there is not an empty tomb after a cross of Christ Jesus, numb the pain somehow. Numb it. Numb the pain. Get, get, get loaded to do something to try to take away that pain. Even as Christians, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? We all have that pain because we're not home yet. But the reality is we have good news of the gospel no matter where you find yourself. And the reality is that good news is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I love how Paul says over 500 people saw it. You know that Rome would have produced a body. They hated the fact that he was gone. But he is resurrected. It's irrefutable evidence. So what is that reality for us? Here's what it is. Here's, here's such good news. You ready for this? You've got to hear this. We owe God's justice, nothing. No way. Come on. It can't be that good. We owe God's justice, nothing. He's holy God. But Jesus's life was enough. His death was enough. His resurrection signaled that reality. And because of that, all of the requirements of holy God have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We owe God's justice, nada. The bill has been paid. Jay, if you pay dinner for your wife, Julie, 
and you've paid it in full and you left a good tip, make sure you leave a good tip, Jay. All right? I know you, you probably will. But if they come running out after you and say, wait a minute, sir, you can't dine and dash here. You cannot do that. You got to pay your bill. And you'll say, wait a minute, here's the bill. I paid it in full. I've paid it in full. I do not owe a thing for this. Jesus has paid everything that was broken in our lives in full. Don't live your life for a nanosecond thinking that God's angry with you in Christ Jesus, thinking that you owe him something. Because everything that God provided for you, God has done for you in Christ Jesus. That is good news. That's amazingly good news. Our past is covered. Not just our past, but our, our current sins, our future sins. They're all been covered in the blood of the Lamb. And we are his. Not only do we know that our past is, is covered, our future is secure. Because of the reality of Christ, here's the really good news. Death is defeated. Death is defeated. He's defeated our greatest and his greatest enemy. The sting of death has been absorbed. Paul is actually saying in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about where, O oh, death, is your sting. Here's what I love about scripture. Guess what he's doing? He's quoting scripture. He's quoting Hosea 13, 14. And he's asking the question, where, O death, is your sting? Now let me stop and say, there's too many of us in this room that know the sting of death, even as believers. And let me tell you, Jesus himself wept at his friend Lazarus' tomb that he was going to raise from the dead. There is a sting in that. I mean, if Jesus can weep over a guy he's about ready to, we weep too. But there's an ultimate sting of death that's been absorbed. Watch this. There's an ultimate sting of death that's been taken away. What happened? That ultimate sting of death is this. It's separation from God. The ultimate sting of death is that we would be banished, the hell of separation from God. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, God's own son, absorbed that sting. The father would say, he would look away, he would cry out to the father and say, my God, my God, here is God's son who eternally has been with the father for the first time in all eternity will all of a sudden become formal and say, my God, my God. Why all of a sudden is Jesus getting so formal on the cross? Because his father stops looking at him. And the father's wrath is burning against him. And here is the one who knew no sin, who's becoming our sin and the hell of that. And he's holy God. And the father was pouring out, pouring out his wrath on his son to the point he's crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's why. So he'll never forsake you. Here's why. So he'll never turn from you ever. He turned from his son. So he'll forever face us. He turned from his son and abandoned there on the cross so he'll never abandon you. That is amazing. Our, our future is secure in Christ Jesus. Death has been defeated. Now death, are you ready for this? Death, our, our, our enemy, is now a passage to God. It's now passage, a passage home. It's not the wrath of God. Death is crossing the Jordan. And you know what our future looks like? Because of the resurrection, our future looks like Jesus. Paul says in verse 20 through 23 that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead. Basically saying there's a resurrection. He's the first one. I grew up in upstate New York around a lot of farms. This time of year, uh, corn has been harvested. And that first ear of corn, we would run back into the fields and you see that first ear of corn. Guess what was coming? A harvest. Jesus is the resurrection. It's a harvest coming. As he was resurrected, we will be true too. And guess what our future looks like? It looks like him. 
1 John 3.1, one of my favorite passages. I say it about almost everyone. But 1 John 3.1 says this, and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And the next part of this is awesome. He says, listen, let me see what kind of love that we should be called the children of God. He says, and by the way, that's what we are. So we are. I love that. The reason the world doesn't know us, it didn't know him. He says, beloved, we are now God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But watch this. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus has a resurrected body. It's not just a spirit. He made a big deal in scripture to eat fish, to be touched, said, I have a resurrected body and you will too. You know what? Your future is not only secured. Your future looks like him. There's this golden chain of promise. It's a beautiful thing. I bet most people here know part of this verse. In Romans 8, 29 and following, I pick up 28 because you know 828. 828 says, and we know that for those who love God are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for good. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's our future, to be like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn or the first fruits, Paul would say, among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also justified, uh, he has also glorified. Here's what it means. Justified means before God, you're declared not guilty in Christ. Unbelievable. Good news. Jesus was enough, not guilty. But he also says in the past tense, those he did that for, he glorified. If you're his, you're going home. You're gonna, he, he's going to make sure of it. He doesn't lose any sheep. It's not about your grip on him. It's his grip on you. And that's so good news. The future is secured. And lastly, The good news that our present is empowered. All is not vanity. Do you ever feel like Bill Murray in the movie Groundhog Day? Am I the only one who feels like every day sometimes feels like that day before? You know, it's just that movie so well portrays it. I mean, just the vanity of it all. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, not another day of sameness. Not another day of meaningless. How many of us feel that way? I love the fact that even God's word has a whole book that talks about it. It's a book of Ecclesiastes. And it says this, vanity and vanity, all is vanity. It's like, it's like vapor. Life, life is like a mist. The book of Ecclesiastes, it says, everything that is done under the sun, what's not done under the sun? Well, it's kind of vanity. Watch this. Unless it's done in the sun. S-O-N. Unless it's done for Christ Jesus. Everything apart from Christ Jesus, it's an empty bubble. You could build a really nice looking life. You can have a lot of nice stuff. But apart from Christ Jesus, you got a nice bubble that's nothing but air. But in Christ Jesus, I love this in verse 58. Nothing that we do in the Lord is done in vain. Nothing. That is incredible. There's a great argument in the world of bumper stickers. I know you've seen it. It's an argument, and they're angry about it. And the argument is, who lives matter? Whose life matters? You've seen it. Let me tell you, all lives matter because every life was made in God's image. Amen? There's never going to be a life that didn't matter in the womb, outside the womb. With Alzheimer's, no matter what condition, every life matters. But our lives in Christ Jesus truly matter. The Lord lives, and because of that reality, we do too. Our King's Chapel motto, what's a motto? Nothing, what's a motto with you? 
Um, our brand new signs. You guys not like these cool new signs? I mean, come on. Um, put more money in the offering plate. These are expensive signs, right? Um, but our, our motto, for the glory of our great God, we are here for one reason. We're here for him. <laughs> for the glory of our great God, we exist. But because we're his and he loves the world so much, he gave his own son for the good of our neighbor. And we do the good of our neighbor for the glory of our great God. And that's the beauty and that's the reality of our lives not being in vain. Let me ask you a question. If it is true, as we close, if it's true, let me just land this plane with me. If it is true that your past is covered, if it is true that your future is secure, if it is true that your present is empowered, how should you feel right now? You should feel free. I mean, there's no other freedom than we find in Christ Jesus. John 8, 36 will say, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Do you feel free? How should you then live if it's true? You should be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks when life is good and give thanks when life sucks wind. Why? Because we have good news always in Christ Jesus. Always. The question is, why don't we often feel this way? I know I don't. Why don't we often live this way? And I hate to tell you the hard truth, but we got to hear it. Plain and simply, we don't believe it to be true. Plain and simple, we forget. Oftentimes, we let our circumstances define what is true. Don't do it. Don't let your circumstances define truth. Let God's word, God's son, define what is true. If life is good, it's only true sometimes. The good news of the gospel is always true. May that good news be in the center of our lives. May that good news be in the center of King's Chapel always. Man, do I hear kids screaming back there? What are we doing to the kids in our nursery? What is happening back there? All right. We have a prayer team that's going to come up at the end. There'll be uh, some people up here. We would love to pray with you if you need prayer. Uh, There'll be a couple of men and a couple of women right up here after the service. But let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this good news. It's so much better than just a t-shirt. We thank you that, God, for each one of us, you want us to make it personal. This isn't just good news that we hear, but this is good news that we embrace. That, God, if there's anybody here that has never embraced this good news, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they'd realize all that Christ has done for them. That you're not angry that you're a God who's poured out his wrath on his son for our brokenness and sin, that Jesus' life was enough, that his death was enough and his resurrection was enough for us to be forgiven and free, for us to be made your own and beloved. We thank you for this good news. Thank you that you didn't give us just good morality. Thank you that you didn't come come to tell us to work harder and try to do better. That's not good news. That's hard work. Thank you that Jesus is enough. And may we cling to him today and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.